Welcome to episode 5 of the Narrative Wargamer podcast, a non-competitive 40k podcast with a focus on fun narrative gameplay, as well as hobby news and our latest hobby projects. I am Tony Rhodes, and tonight I am joined by the excellent Jake Noble, aka Cadian Shock. Hello, thank you for having me. Oh, it's great having you here. Now, as always, before we get started, you can find us at Narrative Wargamer on Facebook, or you can follow us on Twitter at Narrative40k and over on Instagram at Narrative Wargamer. You can also contact us via email at narrativewargamer at gmail.com if you have any questions or if you'd like to join us on a future episode. Finally, if you want to support the show and help us grow, you can do by joining our Patreon from only $2 a month. The support from our patrons helps towards the cost of producing the show and towards awesome new content for you guys in the future. Links are in the description below, so please check them out and get involved with the growing community. Now, that said, speaking of the community, I'm pleased to say that tonight I have with me certainly one of the up-and-coming members of the uh, community, I think. I've been watching your sort of stuff online, following your posts and all your content, so uh, would you like to introduce yourself? Uh, yeah, so I'm Jake, um, well, Jacob, I guess, but Jake, really, um, and I run the Cadian Shock blog, which is mostly astromilitarian stuff with a bit of, I don't know, Custodians or some Raven Guard in there, and it was initially Cadians, um, and now it's sort of spidering into other regiments as well, which... Um, which is fun, um, and I think that's okay. Even though it's Cadian Shock, it's it's sort of now becoming this this bigger thing of. It's a brand, really, isn't it? I suppose, yeah. I sort of struggle with that because it's. It, I suppose it it is, but it never. It, you know, when you start these things, it's it's just one post, and it's like, who's going to read this rubbish? And then all of, a sudden <laughs> it, all of a sudden, it's five years later, and and it is a sort of brand um, without you know really ever wanting it to be that but it but i but i guess it is um yeah i, f- I feel bad saying you're up and coming now <laughs> it sounds like you've been, you've been doing it for you know a good old time and like you do some brilliant stuff so you know i've, I've been enjoying these like blog posts that you put up and I, I think you do really well like written battle reports yeah i yeah i've um the, the written battle reports, it's kind of, I don't know how valuable valuable they are, but I've just started in my YouTube channel and I've had quite a few people say, don't stop doing the written battle reports. Like they're, it's nice to not have to, you know, watch a video and like wait two hours for an outcome. You can sit, get the key bits, I guess, in 10 minutes and then go, all right, so that's how it ended up. It, you know, you don't have to watch hundreds of dice and, you know, which is nice in a way because you get to see every swing and of the battle. But yeah, I, I I enjoy doing them and they're quite they're quite easy to put together. I'd never really thought about it that way. That obviously it's effectively like two hours of YouTube content or whatever condensed into you know five ten minute read, which I guess is a an another avenue of getting involved with the hobby. Really, you know. Um, I guess, you know, not everybody has time to sit down and watch two hours of YouTube yeah. just to enjoy the sense of a, a game. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that, that, I, I can see the appeal. Yeah. And it, I mean, remembering is a, is, is tough 
so I tend to take you know if anyone out there who wants to try this then take lots of photographs one of the key things that you should do is take a photograph of your finger pointing up for the start of turn one then take a photograph of your index finger pointing down for the second person on turn one and then two two fingers up and two fingers down and then you've then got like a log you've got a log of like first person first turn second person first turn and then you can see when those points were and then the photos in between you can piece together the story of of what happened um so yeah that that's if anyone wants to try that's written a really good reports, tip. yeah and taking photos of like, like really specific things of like the dice the wounds and the score like having taking photographs of whatever the score is um is it helps a lot as well because i've found this myself where you know recently well, I've been doing like written battle reports and such, but I've just been trying to be a bit more active on like my the Facebook group for the podcast and stuff like that, where I talk about recent games that I've played, um, and I'll have some snapshots of like the board, but I'm still trying to remember to archive it a bit more. Yeah, like you're saying, and so little hints and tips like that is actually really helpful for remembering the details or certainly like cataloging it as you're going along to help you recall it when you're coming to doing your write up. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. That's it. Took a long time to get like a like almost like a method because it to remember the the things that needed to be remembered and like taking photos of um, like the four ones that you rolled when you needed two yeah. to hit and there was four and you need you know you got four last cannons two to hit and you roll four ones you know remember that you probably won't forget actually but taking photographs of of dice rolls is helps you to remember like the key things as well that, that, that have happened well it certainly comes through in let's say like the blogs and articles that you write because you do really get a sense of what's gone on in the game and feeling the key moments and i say um we're going to talk about it later but i read your write-up on the narrative game that you played recently and it really the progression from turn to turn really did come across so I felt like I could see the development of the game from turn to turn, which sometimes I think can be lost in those written reports, or instead it's very much just, these are the amulets, this was the result. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, well, good, I'll, I'll, I'll carry on. I'll carry on doing that then. <laughs> Please do. <laughs> um, so I guess we've not explicitly said, but you know, where is it people can find all this sort of stuff? So I'm on... Twitter and Instagram and Facebook as Cadian Shock and then my blog is uh, Um and I think yeah I think you know any of those if you find if you find you know you know me on one of those platforms then you'll you'll find the blog and that's where that's where most of my stuff is um you know I might post stuff to there's like I might post like work in progress images to Instagram stories or on Twitter or on Facebook, but eventually everything sort of aggregates onto the blog. Everything, you know, every everything that I do ends up being on the blog. And actually, I don't know what earlier today I was oh talking to somebody about painting cadence, which I've done a lot. And then out of that really simple thing of just painting cadence, I came up with the idea of another blog article. So even even like the most simplest thing, I sort of end up coming up with a 
you know, an idea of a, a blog article and then it always ends up as a blo- as a blog article. Um, even if, you know, there are bits of pieces that are scattered over social media and on Reddit as well, they it all ends up in, you know, a tutorial or a battle report or a tactics article on cajunshock.com. And even though I've now got this a YouTube channel, which I'm still getting to grips with, and um, I think the blog will still be the place where everything ends up um yeah i mean i'm gonna have to pick your brain more and more on this sort of subject because um like obviously i've got my own website as well now um for narrative board gamer where i'm periodically trying to post some articles myself and yeah i know what you mean when sometimes just an idea or a concept can sort of build into an entire little article and then just trying to take it from idea to published is a bit more involved than you think. Like, um, I know recently with the release of the new uh, Codex Space Marines and the introductions of combat doctrines, I just have this feeling that I want to um, just make an observation, really, and put it into words and put it online. And that is that I feel like the combat doctrines after the first time in a long time, making the Space Marines feel less generic. You know, regardless of what chapter or, you know, method of um, engagement you prefer, it's becoming a thing that Space Marines have and will be known for. Yeah. So how, like, you know, Tau are known for having Markalites and the greater good. Uh, Necrons have reanimation demons have no armor saves but all invuns like the thing that defines what makes that army unique in gameplay is something that space marines traditionally never really had because they have been the baseline and i think the the introduction of combat doctrines now this three-step process of moving from one to two to three like a flow chart of combat technique is going to be a thing that as an opponent you're going to think oh i'm playing space marines today I'm going to have to think about and play around how they change the mechanic of the game slightly in their unique way. Yeah, because I guess they, they, they've they sort of been, because they're the, I don't know what the word is, not the standard, but they're sort of like the go-to. They're, like, they're the poster boys, aren't they? They sort of have to be all things to all people. You know, that if you want to play in this way, then you can pick this Space Marine. If you want to play in this way, you can pick this Space Marine. But it's never felt like they were, yeah, they never had, like, a thing, in a way. No, and this feels like it's going to be their thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. You, can, you, can, you can choose to focus on one aspect of it more so than others. Like, you know, white scars are going to be more focused on assault, and they're going to focus more on the assault doctrine. But it's, well, those white scars are still going to have the doctrine system the same way that Imperial Fists will have the Doctrine system. Yeah. Even though they'll make use of it in slightly different ways, Combat Doctrines are now going to be the Space Marine thing. Yeah. Write it. Do um, it. Yeah. <laughs> I will do. Like I say, that and then, you know, just other ideas like that that just spring up and become articles. And, um, yeah, so it, it certainly sounds like, you know, you've got those hints and tips and, you know, I'll say I'll, I will no doubt be picking your brain for them and although I know you are a very busy man and in your time is very in demand 
I will probably keep hassling you to try and write a guest piece every now and again, <laughs> if I ever can do. Okay. The, um, <laughs> I, 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 this, this evening I wrote, I, I, the first step for articles for me is just writing the title. It, this is on the WordPress app. I write the title, I put an A, and then I put the the uh, break, which is the the bit where the article cuts off. For, you know, on the on the home page, it shows like the first bit, and then it stops. So I put an A, I put a break, then I paste in the the uh, the HTML that says, "Don't want to miss an article, subscribe," and then I hit save draft, and that is like the the template. Once it's in there and the title's there, then I can come back to it and go, "Okay, so tonight one of them was Warhammer." blogging tips because I sort of had this thought that yeah maybe there's like people out there that that want to do this because when I started this I started it because of a blog which is now gone which is um, an imperial guard blog called I think it was the grumpy guardsman I can't remember what it was called but um you know I started out and I saw that I I want to start doing this so I'm sure there's other people that you know would would benefit from these little 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 bits, but just writing the title and then you know writing it when you on the bus, you know on the WordPress app, which is what I do, or even in some sort of notes app, then you can start to like flesh it out and 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 then go from there. Um, but yeah, ask you know I'll, I'll write that and and you can ask me as well, and hopefully that'll that'll um that'll help you out. Perfect. Those yeah, well, I'll look forward to reading that one. So yeah, um, so it sounds like you know. You've been quite invested in the hobby for a long time. Um, how long have you been playing exactly? So, um, five years on this on this current go. So I used to play when I was younger, and I, I can't remember. Maybe when I was eight till about probably until I discovered the opposite sex. Um, and <laughs> the, the, the usual story. Yeah. and then I went to university, and then I came back from university, found all my Warhammer. And then sold it all because I had no money because I was at university. So then I had no Warhammer, and I had like Epic. I had, I think it was, I think it was Second Edition, the one with the red space ring with a big like yellow golden power fist um, was the one I had, and like the cardboard ruins. Um, I had Necromunda as well, um, but I got rid of it all. And then about it's. My blog's five years old, so it would have been, it's like five and a bit years ago, um, I started it back up, which would have been uh, after my first child was born, I um, got rid of my Xbox, because I spent loads of time on it, and it sort of was really annoying my partner, and she rightly was like, you spend too much time on that, so I was like, right, I'm going to get rid of it, so I got rid of my Xbox, and replaced it with Warhammer which is really nice because I, I work on a screen all day, played Xbox, so now I don't play Xbox. Now I do Warhammer, which isn't a screen. Ironically, now I run a blog, which is a screen, but most of the time Warhammer <laughs> Warhammer isn't a screen. Um, so, so yeah, so five years, and um, yeah, started out, um, started the blog nearly straight away, actually, because of um, the other blog that I was reading at the time and thought this is, you know, and documenting stuff's really, really good because you you can come back to it and go, wow, I've I've come all this way, and um, it gives you you you're like accountable to yourself in a way, um, yeah, 
so so yeah like five, five and a bit years um i've been doing i've been doing it now so did the did the blog sort of originally start out as a a way of recording your, your experiences in the hobby yeah i don't i can't really remember i think i just yeah i guess so it's so long ago now but um that that's what it ended up being was um i remember doing like tactics articles as well because you could you know it made you it made you look really in depth at things because you were going to put it out there on the internet and so you wanted to make sure everything was right um and and so I guess there was an element of that like not only um cataloging what I was doing but also doing things properly because you were putting it out there to to other people so I've just gone on my archive and my first blogs were like making a six by four foot table battle report battle report article about Baldwin tactics article about secondhand models so a bit of everything I think really Um, I, I don't know how, I get, I guess, I guess it was probably what I got the most feedback on. So, you know, back, back then I've done a lot of like little apps and like tools as well. So back then I did, um, you know, the, uh, you know, the cards, um, like the tactical mission cards. I did a generator for for um for that like a little web thing so you could like it would just generate the cards for you um and that was that went mad like that was that that was that was ridiculously successful and so then I I did like other things as well like I did a dice rolling thing and so I think for a while I did a lot of like digital little projects because I maybe didn't because I maybe didn't have time to like sit down and hobby, but I could like code something quickly. Um, and so I sort of went down that route and, and then didn't because then, you know, sort of had this thing of, well, not really, this isn't really the hobby, like just doing um, little tools and, and stuff. So I think I probably just followed what was successful, which was this tactical mission objective card generator thing. Um, and then probably went and then probably flowed between like hobby and battle reports because they're they're really the most enjoyable things to do myself um even though they might not always be as popular as like producing some little tool that gets the internet you know like oh this is interesting um yeah that yeah. difference between like 15 minutes of internet fame versus yeah. personal fulfillment yeah yeah Although I haven't stopped doing uh, digital projects for Warhammer stuff, like they're always they're always there in the background because um, I'm a I'm a web developer, so it's sort of it's like my it's my work and my um, hobby sort of coming together, which is what the blog is as well, I guess. It, it's funny you say that because although you don't know this, I'm also a web developer. Oh, okay, 
Right. <laughs> yeah. So I spend all day, you know, busy working away with JavaScript and so on. Right. websites. So I think maybe that's part of the reason why I also really enjoy spending my evenings doing hobby time stuff. Because again, like you said, not looking at the screen. Yeah. 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 Oh, well. No, we didn't know that. <laughs> I didn't know even until you mentioned no. it just then. It's funny how similar, you know, I guess, traits just sort of leading down a similar path. Yeah. You've done a blog, I've done a podcast. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, excellent. Um, so, yeah, so that's a bit about, like, the like the blogger side of everything you do. But um, how have you found these, like, past five years from the hobby point of view then, just yourself as a hobbyist and... Like, how have you found yourself engaging with the game over those years? Uh, I th- so, oh, memory's really, really bad. Um, so initially, initially played with friends, had one friend that played, and then, and then like, someone else came out of the woodwork, someone else came out of the woodwork, and then there's, like, a group of five of us. And we'd go around to, like, someone's house, we'd have a six-by-four-foot board, um, which I made... Uh, and like lay that on the table we'd have like not proper terrain and that went on for quite a while and i think i'd i, I didn't paint a lot back then um neither did i yeah like, like i've only really properly started painting this year like since january this year yeah i've been in this hobby for about 15 years but i've always just been playing it and collecting it more than actually painting it and recently i've just really found myself loving painting more than anything and god damn it i will soon have a painted orc army it will happen <laughs> yeah it's it, it's weird how you go between you know because i think back then you play you know we we're playing a lot of 2v2s you'd play i'd lose and then i'd like build the next thing right this week i built like two more leaving russ i'm gonna win they're not painted you know it was kind of it was that mentality and, and also not not being in a club and not being surrounded by people that do paint because none of us really you know some of us did a bit some of us didn't and so there was no uh no accountability sort of, yeah and no like oh that looks amazing maybe i should do that so um so that's how it was initially and then i gradually like someone someone moved away um someone else stopped sort of playing and then I started playing with at, at the local um like independent store in Derby which is um it's actually quite new I think and so um when I started playing there um I started playing like more people and so I've got more into the painting recently because I I want to have a painted army on on the battlefield because other people have painted armies and so um now i now i only play painted which um is a great like motivational thing to paint because you can't you know if you make that decision then you can't play <laughs> if you don't paint so you you sort of you, yeah and and so i've like gone from you know playing at home to playing in a club and then playing painted and and I, I think that's quite a natural, I think to go into the hobby and go, you know, because I talk to, I talk to a lot of people on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and also a lot on like private messages. Like I have a, I have a chat thing 
on my blog, which is me, even though loads of people put in, is this a bot? Uh, no, I don't, it, I've we, seen it, and it is, does look a little bit like you. Yeah, I need to, You always reply really quickly. Yeah, so so it is me, and and I have a lot of conversations with people, and people, you know, they 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 want to paint, they want to do, they want to like build this army, they want a thousand points, they want to paint, and it, it's really it's really hard to do that, to go from zero to a thousand points painted, especially when you like go on Instagram and everything looks amazing. And then you paint something and you go, well, this isn't how it's meant to look. It doesn't look awesome. And so like having this, you know, going from being at home to being in a club and then painting is, is quite a nice way of doing it. I think I would have really struggled to stick with it if I'd gone straight to a club, seen painted stuff and then gone, I can't do this. Like I feel really out of my depth. Um, so, so, uh, yeah, going back to the original question, that that's how that's how the last five years of, as as an overview have been, and how it's how my hobby is like played out. Um, is that the answer you were looking for? Yeah, pretty much. Like, I just want I always think it's interesting to hear different people's stories about like where they started with the hobby versus where they are now, and quite often different phases that people have gone through. Yeah, and. I've been finding it surprisingly more and more common these days to hear people talking about they really get into painting later on, even though they've been doing the hobby for years and suddenly they just find they hit a point where they just they really want to put that effort in and you know commit the time. Yeah, there is the pile of shame. <laughs> yeah, the uh, the pile of shame, yeah. Like, I think one of the best things to do with the pile of shame, honestly, is try and sell a bunch of it just shift it you know try and identify which things you've had for 10 years and realistically even though you'd like to get them done are they going to be another 10 years before they're painted yeah even if you are painting for those 10 years yeah because they're just low priority on the list yeah and uh, yeah you're right and also i'll come back to this later but even though they might be models you wanted at the time like after a bit they, they they don't fit into maybe where you where you thought your army was going so even you know they just even if you did paint them like realistically how much table time are they actually going to get if you're a player i mean if you just paint for fun then it's a different question but for me as a player sometimes i look at things and go i'm never gonna you know when am i going to feel that i'm you know it's yeah it's silly Sometimes, like I've found, I've been having this exact like debate in my head recently with the um, Death Guard from the Dark Imperium box set. Oh yeah. So I originally split it with a friend. I got the Death Guard stuff because you know I had Death Guard. I had Chaos. I had Noble Demons. Blah 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 stuff like that. And I wanted some of the new Death Guard stuff. But realistically, these days now, I'm just looking at them. It's like I've had them two years. I've played like one maybe two games with them since they've been built and the only thing that's been stopping me from selling them at this point is because a few things most of the characters you still can't buy them individually yet they're All right, still yeah. only in that box so it's like if I sell them I feel like maybe eventually I might want a lot of Contagion or um, <laughs> yeah. the, the guy with the, the bell on his back you know or whatever I can't even tell you the name of the unit. That's how little I've <laughs> Yeah. 
but, but I, think, I, I think I'm going to shift them now because ultimately it's going to be years and years and years till I actually would get around to doing something with them. And if I really want them that badly, I'll invest in picking them up from eBay or somewhere, you know, yeah. and don't mind paying a little bit more of a premium in 10 years' time if I actually want it. Yeah, I think that that's the one thing that I... That, that I'm not sure I would do because I because I have got some stuff from Forge World that's discontinued. I was going to sell it. It's the Cadian Hostile no scanner. It's like a scanner, but it doesn't have rules in Eighth Edition. And I was going to put it on eBay, and then it's not on the Forge World site. And I thought this is a bad move. Like I, if I ever want this again in the future, then it's going to cost me an arm and a leg. <laughs> and so I so I <laughs> took it off eBay and. And um, but but I I know what you mean. Um, but I just sometimes think, having sold it all, all that time ago, twenty years ago, whenever it was, I, I no, not twenty years ago. I'm not that old. Um, however many years ago, um, you know, I I do regret that, and so now I'm like I I can't. I don't think I could bring myself to to sell certain thing things. Although although I do, so I don't know, I don't know. Sometimes I sell. Sometimes <laughs> I don't sell stuff. Sometimes I, I think being like honest or even a little bit um, callous with yourself is best. You yeah, know, you'll feel so much better for it afterwards. But you know that's just one way of dealing with the the pile of shame. Yeah. Um. So, tell me then. Obviously, with this being a narrative podcast, how typically have you approached? playing the game over the years so in seventh edition i i think i just played i can't really just played the normal missions i guess from the normal rule book and even when the those campaigns came out i can't remember what they were called the ones that had the formations in um they had they had mission they had like narrative missions and like campaign stuff in. I don't think I ever played any of those. Oh, because they had odd things where it was like, right, there's this mission and the Tau bring two riptides and like these battle suits and then the guard bring and it was sort of quite off put, even though obviously you, you didn't have to bring that stuff, but you know, reading it, it read like you need to bring this stuff. Um and so I didn't really do any back then. And then in eighth, I've just played uh, the normal missions from the rule book, then chapter approved missions for whichever twenty seventeen was it, and then chapter approved missions for twenty eighteen, and then the other week played uh, a vigilus at blaze mission, uh, which was I guess read my first narrative mission uh, I guess which was um it was a lot of fun. Yeah, and we're going to talk about that in the the next section. Um, so I think we might take a quick little break there, and then we'll come back and talk about your very first experience with narrative gameplay. Okay, you So we'll be back in a second, guys. Do you enjoy awesome narrative 40k games as much as we do? Do you wish there was more narrative play content online you could enjoy? Narrative Wargamer aims to be more than just a podcast. Our goal is to become a wider platform for narrative 40k content creation. Right now we are just starting out, but you can already find 40k articles and gaming posts on our website 
at narrativewargamer.wordpress.com. We also aim to develop the Narrative Wargamer YouTube channel with narrative battle reports, custom missions, expanded gameplay rules and much more. If you would like to see awesome content like this, then please support the show via the Narrative Wargamer Patreon page. The support from our patrons helps us produce the show and expand our range of future content. You can support the show from as little as $2 a month and it really is the best way to show us you are enjoying our work and are excited to see more. With your support, Narrative Wargamer can become the number one provider of narrative player content from the Grimdark. And we're back, guys. So we're going to be moving on now to a sort of like spotlight topic um, for the show, which really it's a, it's going to be an in-depth battle report. So there aren't any um, there isn't a range of games played uh, this week. Instead, there is one particular game played that uh, Jake is going to tell us all about. So uh, we were just alluding to it before the break, but it was actually one of the Vigilus Ablaze missions, was it? Or was it Vigilus Defiant? I can't remember which, but one or the other. It was uh, Ablaze, which I think is the second one. Um, because yeah. when we came to the game, I had one book. Uh, Chris, my opponent, had the other book. And so he rolled off to see which book it was. And then we rolled off for the mission. So And it ended up being completely random from one of those two books. Um, which meant I had no idea what it was because I read the ones from the book I had. Um, just to see what they were like, um, but I didn't have the other book. So when it when we used the other book, I was like, oh, I have no idea what this is going to be. Um, so it was it was very much like, okay, right, I need to figure this out now because I've been given this like random mission and um, but it was it was a lot. It was good. It was a lot of fun. Um, so this yeah. was one of the crucible of war missions, which is. The like dedicated narrative scenario ones, which typically have an attacker and a defender, and then all kinds of unusual aspects to gameplay that can be really interesting. So, which was the actual mission that you rolled up? So it was called, I think it's called Doomsday Device. Now it's interesting that you. So there's the Crucible of War, and what's the other ones? There's, there's... The main two that everyone talks about is the Eternal War and Maelstrom of War missions. Which are like your standard rulebook formats. But in the book, but yes, in the Vigilus stuff, there is Crucible of War, which is still like universally templated missions, but they're very particular or narrative focused ones. So they're not what you'd call a balanced setup or not necessarily um, evenly playing field missions. There'll be like particular objectives to achieve, unusual aspects, or sometimes even higher or lower points value games but the other version is the echoes of war yeah the echoes of war missions are ones that are meant to represent actual battles occurred within that campaign settings in this case missions from the wars on vigilus and they they dictate or recommend certain actual armies to use so like you know orcs versus guard eldar versus chaos whatever in particular they'll often even say like you know Craft World Saiham versus the Black Legion is what this mission is intended for. And okay. they even include um, stratagems to represent famous units that were present at that battle. Right. So, okay. You've, you've taught me something there because when I was looking at them, I couldn't tell the difference. But now you've said that, it would probably be really, really obvious to me 
that 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 that's the case. So when we when we decided the mission, we just went, should we do echoes or crucible? And we rolled, and then it was the crucible war table, and then we rolled again, and then we ended up with the doomsday device mission, which it, it was fine. Yeah. So like when you see people talking about like tournament packs and events and stuff. They typically use either Eternal War or yeah. Ocean of War. Because yeah, that's what are, I generally use in the past. Yeah, they're very universally um, flexible. The Crucible of War missions are meant to be universal in army selection and choice and how you play them and so on. But quite often, there's a certain aspect of gameplay or the mission type or whatever that'll make you want to play differently and maybe even have to consider army list construction for it so you're not going to see them in the events and tournaments and stuff because right. yeah they're going to be more difficult to create a like a take on all comers list to yes. play crucible of war missions and then yeah. echo ones are literally going to be like this is meant to be the mechanical versus a gene seat look yeah so if you roll that up and you're trying to play eldar versus tau yeah. It's probably not gonna play yeah, out that, that, that um that probably would have become apparent when we, if we'd have rolled that table, we would have probably gone, Oh, this isn't gonna work because we haven't got those. So yeah. so yeah, it turned out it turned out fine. Um So you ended up playing the Doomsday device yeah. mission. Yeah. Um In fact it'll be worth, um I don't know if you've got the book to hand, but it might be worth giving us a little rundown of the actual mission from the book. I have the. I don't have the book hand because Chris had that book. I've only got Vigilus Defiant. Hey, give me one second. I do have it to hand. Ah, oh, good. I've got the mission for Doomsday Device here, so I will just give it a quick rundown. So players create the battlefield using the deployment map below, then set up terrain. A Doomsday Device sits on one side of the battlefield in a fortified position. You deploy lengthwise. Uh, with an attacker and defender. The defender basically has like half the board and the attacker has about like a third of the yeah. board. So there's only sort of like a, what, maybe 12, 18 inch gap between deployment zones. So not a huge gap. Um, and basically the doomsday device, whatever terrain feature or model you're using to represent it, is basically smack bang in the middle of the defender's deployment zone. Um, However, deployment is a little different and interesting. After turn has been set up, the attacker secretly allocates each of the units in their army a different number, writes these down on small pieces of paper, then also include three decoy pieces of paper, which have numbers written on them but do not correspond to any units in their army. So basically you're using hidden deployment setup if you're the attacker, because they then set up these pieces of paper who live in their deployment zone. The defender then sets up all their units who live in their deployment zone. The attacker then sets up each of their units as close as possible to the piece of paper, and the attacker takes the first turn. The key thing is that the victory conditions for this mission is that uh, the attacker is trying to destroy the doomsday device, but it's not as simple as just blowing up a vehicle or something similar. So, in order to harm the doomsday device, uh, the attacker's units treat the device as an enemy model. When a model fights, any of its attacks are targeted automatically hit it. Um, the Doomsday device has a toughness characteristic of 20 and no save characteristic. It does not have a wounds characteristic and cannot be destroyed. You simply keep a tally of the amount of damage suffered by the device in each battle round. 
the damage tally is reset to zero at the start of each battle round. Check damage tally at the end of each battle round. If it is five or more, the Doomsday device loses a structure point. So basically, you're trying to deal five or more damage total to this, you know, toughness 20 no save unit. Yes. Um, each turn. And then the battle uses random battle length, so it's going to be like, you know, five to seven turns. But in addition, if the Doomsday device has lost five structure points, the battle ends immediately. Now, the defender is capable of repairing it as well, so the defender can attempt to repair the device at the end of a battle round. But before the damage tally is checked, if any of their models are touching the Doomsday device with their base, they can attempt to repair it. To do so, the defender repairs, the defender makes a repair roll by rolling a d3 and reducing the damage tally. So if you're, you know, on five to eight damage, there's a chance the defender could just repair it enough that you don't even get the structure point for that turn. Yeah. And then the victory conditions are, if the battle ends because the Doomsday device has lost five structure points, the attacker wins a major victory. Otherwise, if the device has lost four structure points, the attacker wins a minor victory. If the device has lost three at the end, the, the defender wins a minor, and if they lost two or fewer, the defender wins a major. So it's all dependent on how many structure points the Doomsday device has lost at the end of the game. That's and it. That's the only victory condition, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it's a little bit of a mouthful to go over, but you know, um, do you want to take us through how that all sort of played out in the setup of your game? Sure. Um, yeah. So, so we both made lists first, not knowing anything. Well, who was attacking? Who was defending? I, we both knew the armies we were going to bring. Uh, Chris brought um, Admech and knights, and I knew a bit of what he had and I knew like the knights that he had but I didn't know what he was going to bring and I I just finished painting seven Lehman Russ so obviously I was going to bring seven Lehman Russ no matter what <laughs> um we played yeah, two... as, as you would do <laughs> yeah so have, going from zero to seven was was quite something so I've you know in the past I've like been using I have used them before but they were unpainted I've probably not used them for, for a year so um, I, pr I have used them in eighth edition, but not but not for a long time. So, so yeah, I've gone from like using a couple of basilisks, a couple of wyverns, infantry, some heavy weapons to like now having all all these Lehman Ross in, in a list. So I, I brought um, I'll just run through what I brought. So I brought Acadian Battalion, Creed, a Psyker, four infantry squads, a basilisk, and heavy weapons team of auto cannons. Brought Creed because it's a narrative mission. I thought he's not always great, but I thought why not? And I made him my warlord, which gave me two extra command points. Um, and so he could, you know, he can fire out orders and 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 look um, menacing um, on the battlefield. <laughs> can look, he can look cool doing it. Yeah, uh, and then a spearhead detachment, which had all my Lehman Russ in and a tech priest. Um, I made a mistake in my list here which uh, was brought up later i gave the tech priest the lost relic of cadia which you can't do because he's not a cadian officer uh, this was a this was a mistake on on my part and i don't think it changed things that much because i wasn't playing chaos so it wasn't i wasn't re-rolling all misses and 
hits for one turn, which is what it does against Chaos. It just does reroll reroll wounds and misses, sorry, of one against anyone that's not Chaos. So it was kind of helpful, but had I realised, I would have taken like a platoon commander for 20 points and given it to him. And 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 so I don't think it was a big deal, but, uh, you know, I need to admit that. And um, yeah, Chris was okay with it. So, you know, these things happen. And, yeah, uh, so long as both players are fine with it, it doesn't really matter. No. Uh, and so I had a tank commander with last cannon and heavy bolters. And then this also had the Emperor's Fist Tank Company uh, specialist detachment. So I gave this tank commander the the relic from that specialist detachment, which is basically a battle cannon, but it does flat three damage. Um, which is on, brilliant. Yeah, instead of D3. And I was really excited about using that because uh, getting rid of the randomness that the guard have is is in feels amazing because it's always like, oh, yeah, D3 damage. Oh, it's one. Uh, you know, we just, <laughs> yeah. we just don't have, you know, anything that's that's that high. So I was, I was excited to use that. And then an executioner tank commander with last cannon, plasma cannons, another executioner, but normal Lehman Rust with heavy bolt and plasma cannons, an exterminator, which is the heavy bolt, which is the auto cannon turret um, with no sponsons, and then two battle cannon Lehman Rust with heavy bolter and plasma cannons. Oh, and then another battle cannon. With heavy boxer and multi melters, so that was all my armor. And then my last, my last uh, detachment was a Vanguard detachment. And this again, this is not. This is just for giggles, uh, which was Yarrick, and then uh, a unit of seven rattlings, a unit of five rattlings, and a unit of five rattlings, which is seventeen uh, rattlings. <laughs> um, but, you know, that's that. That's just fun um, in itself because they. They're, they're toughness two, leadership five. Although leadership not because they're with Yarrick, I put them with Yarrick because Yarrick rerolls ones for Astro Militarum uh, uh, infantry, which you know even though they're not Cadian or any of the the regiments, they're still Astro Militarum infantry. So uh, Yarrick can make them reroll ones. So that was kind of just for fun, um, and so that was me. And then the Admech force. Uh, brought a Castellan knight and I was like oh <laughs> my gosh this is I'm glad I bought all these all these tanks uh, so a Castellan knight two armager hell barons uh, a tech priest dominus a tech priest two dune crawlers two Castellan robots with a data smith two squads of five rangers Katari, a 10 man squad of vanguards Katari, and then three Catafron, uh, is that how you say it? Breaches, which is like the plasma. Yeah. Are they the breaches or the other ones? I don't know, but they're in the, the plasma. They're like guys on tracks with plasma. So, yeah, two, both painted. Uh, Chris's stuff looks great. Um, he's uh, the unrelenting brush on Instagram. Um, if you want to go and check him out, he does um, commission painting as well. So, um, yeah, he's worth checking out. And yeah, so they were. Those are the forces. Two pretty formidable two thousand point armies. You know, both capable of a lot, a lot of damage. Um, yeah, so, I'm gonna yeah. say when you say you're rocking up with seven Lima Russes, that sounds imposing. And yet, 
it yeah. still sounds like there were guns across the table that yeah. make you question whether or not seven is enough. Yeah. Oh, I had a Vindicare as well. I had a I had a Vindicare assassin as well, um, which I failed to mention. So yeah, I had a, I had a Vindicare as well. So yeah, they were yeah they were they were like proper. Even though it's like a, a narrative mission, they were they were proper armies. You know, mine did have some. You know, the rattlings, um, which we'll come to later. <laughs> um, you know, some fun elements. So, so yeah, that that was it. Um, and you can just imagine how that's going to play out as a conflict. You know, you're going to be rolling over the hill with your column of tanks that are all aiming to destroy this, you know, Admech doomsday device whilst they're just braving the Castellan fire in return. Like, because one of the things of this mission is that you're going to be trying to focus fire on stuff that isn't even the enemy units. Yeah. Trying to harm something that isn't retaliating. So you're not going to be diminishing your opponents returning fire as much as you would do in other scenarios yeah I, my my um my focus is is not it's not always on the enemy and so i'm i'm losing some of that firepower and and what having gone into this mission blind i i've missed and i didn't realize this until much much later on in the game and had i really realized this at the start it would have been a different game but i because of the way the doomsday device is set up at toughness 20, you can hit it with a battle cannon and it wounds on a six. You can hit it with a las gun and it wounds on a six. So, <laughs> so, yeah. so really, you know, I was trying, I was trying to hit it with, well, I'll, I'll come, I'll come to this, but, but, you know, I didn't realize that because it was just sort of like, this is the mission, right, let's get started. And I, and not realizing that meant that I was trying to shoot it with big guns, whereas, a last cannon would have been as just as effective. So, um, so yeah, but but yeah, that that's um, we'll, we'll talk about that later, I'm sure. So the deployment, oh, the deployment was was really difficult doing all these bits of paper. I think I, including the um, uh, the dummy ones, which I actually forgot. So I wrote them all out with numbers <laughs> and then forgot them and then just added three numbers on the end and had Chris been paying attention, he would have known which one the dummies ones were because they were just the last three numbers that I wrote down that I didn't, that I didn't write a unit next to. So deploying like that's really difficult because usually you can like put something down and go, okay, right, well, Yarrick's there. So now I'm going to, you know, next time I'm going to put the rattlings next to him and then the rattlings next to him again. But having all these bits of paper I was like scrubbing around going oh where was this and where's this and check the number and and then and Chris also plays um Gene Steeler cult so so he he's he was like this is this is me all the time because that's how that's how Gene Steeler cult normally deploy is is in secret and I, I it was really difficult but it was quite satisfying to then you know place everything and go haha this is this yeah. is it like deal with this um it, it quite... must have been interesting for him to be on the receiving end of it for once. Yeah, I think though, if you look at them, you probably work out like there's a there's a there's a white there's a white piece of paper behind a hill, uh, and I brought <laughs> and I brought one basilisk. So, will it be a basilisk or will it be a Lehman Ross? So it was kind of you know I think if you, if you've spent any time, you'd probably been able to to work it out. But um, but it was interesting to to do it like that and. Oh, certainly. Yeah, 
Um, so, I mean, it's nice to have that sort of novelty with an army that doesn't normally do it. So, like you say, Gene Steel can do it all the time, but you're getting to do that with your guard tank army. So yeah. that's yeah, the sort of thing that you know, play these narrative missions can do to really like add to your normal experience and just change things up a bit. Yeah, and and also knowing, I don't think I'd I don't think I'd looked into it, but I was going to have first turn. There was no mention of CG initiative, so I was going to have first first turn, and so really you could have done some really crazy stuff and just you know just put everything. I mean, everything was pretty packed in anyway, just because I was trying to get like plasma in range and stuff. But yeah, you could you could really go mad with 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 your deployment, which normally, like you say, you'd never do. And um, but in this situation, you could you could do some interesting interesting stuff. But but it was it was it was a novelty, and um, I, I you know because of because of these little things, I am looking forward to doing a mission like this again because it's just not it's just fun. It's just, it's just a lot. Of it fun. is, yeah. And you know, even yourself, you've been playing for, you know, five years now. Also, like you know, replaying for five years, and yet when you start to look at the options that are available in like the narrative side of stuff, it can really open up completely new experiences that you would not necessarily have expected. You could even have after five years of playing this game you think you would have seen it all but you just really haven't yeah yeah um so yeah it was um it, yeah the point the, the point was was um was difficult but it was a nice it was a nice difficult so to the game so just then yeah so just before you dive into the first turn then so i didn't particularly see anything about this in your battle report write-up but did either of you use any of the mission-specific stratagems throughout the game? I don't think. What are they? You've got you've got the book. There. Yeah. So this is one of the other features of um, Crucible of War that's unique to it um, that you don't get in Maelstrom or Eternal, and that is that they off they all come with unique stratagems that you'll use in that one game because they're often related to the unique aspects of that game. Um, and there's two sets, one of the attacker and one of the defender. So uh, the ones that were available to you as the attacker, you had um, one CP for saboteur. Use the stratagem when you set up a character from your army on the battlefield. Add one to wound rolls for attacks made by that character that target the doomsday device in the fight phase. Oh yeah, I read so that one actually, and and just laughed and thought, no, this is this is not <laughs> this is not for know, me. Unless it's, unless it's Yarrick with the power claw, it's yeah. probably not going to be worth it. Yeah. Um, two CP for priority target. Use the stratagem when you pick a unit from your army to shoot with in your shooting phase. Until the end of the phase, you can add one to wound rolls for attacks made by that unit that target the doomsday device. And you were saying earlier that you know trying to. Uh, wound it is very hard because basically everything, even battle cans, will be on sixes. Yeah. I, so you pop this on a good unit and bring that wound roll down to a five plus. It's a big difference. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't use that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then the last one is uh, two CP for fight to the last. 
Use a stratagem at the start of your morale phase. Units from your army that include any models that are within five inches of the centre of the Doomsday device or that are touching the Doomsday device do not take morale tests this turn. So, again, probably more of a combat-oriented one, but if you were just piling units into this Doomsday device and attempt to harm it, you right. don't have to worry about taking casualties from morale because they know they're giving their lives to try and destroy this Doomsday device. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't use that one either. So, and I think, <laughs> I think, um, I think this is because you know, going into it, you've like read the mission, you've read the objectives, you've read the battle length, you've read the deployment map, you've now got these stratagems, uh, and so you know, it's it's a lot to 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 remember, and also because I I don't have the book, and there's only one book, it's kind of hard to go. Can I just mm. like look at the stratagems again? So, I don't think we did, although. I'm sure there's one that Chris used once for an invulnerable save. Well, the defenders ones yeah. are um, one CP for jury rig. Use a stratagem at the end of that round before you make a repair roll for the doomsday device. He if might, any of your he, models are touching the doomsday device, add one to the repair roll. He might have used that. I can't. I can't so remember. That he might have repaired D three plus one. No, I don't think he did. Um, I don't think he did. That sounds quite. I don't think he did use that because that sounds quite useful. <laughs> <laughs> They've also got Defend the Device, 2CP. Use a stratagem when you pick a unit from your army to fight within the fight phase. If it's got any models within 5 inches of the device, um, until the end of the phase, you can reroll hit rolls for attacks made by that unit. So, again, like you can see how these stratagems could cause a game to play out very differently if it was yeah. two units versus orcs, but yeah. tower versus guard or something, you know? Yeah, no, you didn't um, use that. And I think the last one is the one that you're talking about the improvised shields for 1CP. Use a stratagem at the start of the attacker's shooting or fight phase. Until the end of that phase, the Doomsday device has an invulnerable save of 5+. plus. In addition, increase the damage tally by 1. So, I think... Does that, yeah, so that means that you have to apply a point of damage to the device because essentially it's diverting some of its energy, I guess, or power, Yeah. to the shields. But obviously... If you can prevent more than one damage by yeah. having a final bin bun, then it's been worth it. I think I think that does ring a bell. I think he did use that on the first turn, but I don't know if he I don't know if we he remembered to do the in bun save and I don't know if we added one <laughs> one. So for all intents and purposes we didn't use any of them. And I think that's just because we were in the game, so to speak, yeah. and not and not um not always going back to the book and, and having but then, you know, that's proof in itself that you don't need to be reliant on the stratagems in order to make the game feel yeah. engaging enough. Like, you feel like you could have easily played without them. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so we, so yeah, so we, didn't, we, didn't, we didn't use them. Um, and it was fine without them. Yeah, it was fine That's interesting. Them. Yeah. So, how did it all kick off then? So, um, so I got first turn, and for the last... Amongst my group of friends that I play with, I, I never used to move. This is like a big thing. Jake doesn't move his models. He just sits there, <laughs> shoots, and then <laughs> and then hopes for the best and then loses because he's like castled up and he hasn't moved. And so uh, I really try not to do that now. And so I just, I threw all my guardsmen, like all 40 of them, ran forward, created this big line like in front of all the Skatari, in front of the dune crawlers, and because I think the reasoning was just to stop 
to stop them coming forward with like their plasma and their and getting within like rapid fire range of Miley and Russ, I don't think they were they were never going to charge because they're not orcs or tyranids. They're um, I'd be I sort of want them in optimum range. Yeah, you want to. I wanted to put that buffer out there to say, you know, this is this is this is where we're going to fight. It's going to be here, not <laughs> right in front of my guys, in front of my tanks. It's going to be halfway up the table. So everyone ran forward. Creed then move ordered like three of the squads to move, move, moved. I think I paid a command point to give Creed an extra order so that he could then let one of the infantry squads shoot even though they advanced so they like went after Skutari um I the shooting the shooting went quite well I think I got rid I got rid of both of the robots the Castellan robots is that how you say it you know the sort of bubbly looking things got rid of both of those uh on the first turn which was pretty good because it because they never got, you know, it was it was my first turn. They never got to shoot. Um, I did some damage to a June Crawler and an Armager, and I did manage to get the five damage onto uh, the Doomsday device. And I did that. I think I did that with the with the Hammer of Sundrance, whatever that the the special battle cannon, because you know it, I, I just needed like two sixes to to do three damage each, and then that was my five. Um, so that yeah, was my thinking. you get two good hits in from that battle cannon, and yeah. you've done the damage you need for the round. Yeah, and I had I also used the Lost Relic of Cadia, so I was like re-rolling ones to hit, which Cadians do anyway, and then re-rolling ones to wound. So, um, which is which is not, you know, amazing, but it's kind of a nice little boost to... It helps. Yeah. yeah and, definitely and, helps. Yeah, re-rolling to wound is not something that, we get to, you know the guard get to do so it was a nice little extra thing to you know try and get those sixes so um you know my my first i did what i needed to do on my first turn which was um get that five damage for the structure point on the um on the doomsday device didn't didn't even shoot i don't think at the at the uh castellan knight um <laughs> you you had amazingly bigger problems to worry about yeah yeah, um, you know, because they're closer. Everything, you know, I was, I'd never played against Agma before as well. I never played against a knight, actually. I played against Armagers, but not anything bigger. Um, so I, <laughs> And yet you go, go yeah, up against the Castellans, your yeah, first experience. So it, yeah. Um, so so that, was, that was my first turn. It went, yeah, I did, I did what I needed to do. And then, and then, and then the Admech went and um the i couldn't believe that i didn't lose a lehman ross um in this first turn because that volcano lance um is is amazing like yeah, i remember it's, it's pretty beastly isn't it? yeah i remember reading it and thinking oh this is Okay, well, it's like you know, it's d six. Well, that's not that many, and it's strength fourteen or something. And okay, that's pretty good, but it's still going to be wounding a Lemurus on a three. Uh, I think it's got a ridiculous. It's like AP minus five or something. So you your armor save, and then three d three damage. Well, that's not many, is it? And then when what you know, and then when you think about it, like that's that's horrible because 
you know what once you know if you roll decent hits and then all of a sudden they're doing a, you know 63 damage it's a lot and so i was i was amazed to not lose uh lose a tank um and also the plasma decimator whatever it's called that 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 didn't that didn't do great either so i think i was really lucky on that first turn to not get absolutely nailed um and lose like two tanks um so you know i think first turn did what i needed to do and i like thrown everything up and sort of set set the line of like this is where the engagements are going to happen um i did get the one of the dune callers was down to like two wounds but the they have a stratagem that just they just fire normally even though they're on the lowest tier um yeah which was really annoying because i was like oh well that's one basically dead and it's not going to do anything and then all of a sudden it's like no it's fine um so so yeah that that was the first turn have i missed anything uh what did your your rattlings do i guess oh the, the rattlings yes of course how could i how could i forget so i, I had 17 of them they were with yarrick they were like <laughs> sat on this hill yarrick's on top of the hill there's three auto cannons next to yarrick there's 17 rattlings around the auto cannons around yarrick which is I think in equal measure amazing and silly. Like the idea that that <laughs> very the, much so. The idea that Yarrick would be there with these rattlings going, Come on guys, let's keep it together. There's a massive night over there. It is just so it's just ridiculous that Yarrick would you know concern himself with, with rattlings, but yeah, here he is with with, uh, with seventeen of them. And they they're only thirty six inch range and then across this no man's land, there's no enemy. They haven't moved yet, so I only could reach like their front row of uh, Skatari. I couldn't reach uh, any of their characters uh, or or anything else. So they 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 killed a f they killed a few um, of the enemy infantry. And in the past, I've used them against characters, and I've never had seventeen before. The most I've had before is ten. And and they they've never really done great, but I just like bringing them. They're quite good for uh, deep strike denial if you can set them up in a decent place. But that wasn't the name of the game here. So, but they but they were quite good at just killing infantry because you you know you roll to hit, re-rolling ones, they're three plus, and then sixes cause a mortal wound plus the normal damage. So if you've got seventeen, you get decent hits and then roll four sixes. Uh, against toughness three that's four dead straight away from the mortals and then they still need to make all these saves as well so you, you, i was like killing i was killing people with them which was amazing um and so um so yeah they the first turn they they um they popped a few sigatari which was um which was a surprise um because really i brought them for for characters so it was good to it was good to do that the vindicare didn't do anything either he, which is fairly standard, um, I found for him because you know if you fail the wound roll or you fail the hit roll, then then that's it. So so he didn't do anything. But yeah, the rattlings did all right, getting breaking down that front line of Skatari. Um, yeah, well, well remembered. <laughs> so at the end of the first round, you had managed to do your 
first structure point to the doomsday device, hadn't you? Yes. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I'd realized that if I needed to get a major victory, which was five structure points, I needed to do one every turn in case the game ended on turn five. And, and if I missed one, then uh, then things are going to be a bit ropey. So um, so it was good that I, I'd done it um, on this first turn. So, yeah. You were off to a good start. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I was. Yeah. Yeah. So how did it go then moving on to say give us a roundup of turns two and three. Two and three. So um so turn two I so notable points. The psyker you psychic maelstrom, which is if you get it, if it goes off it's a seven. And on a two, you roll the dice on a two, it does a mortal wound, and then on a three, it does a mortal wound, and then on a four, it does a mortal wound. So if you roll right, you can go two, three, four, five, six, and do five mortal wounds, which has never happened before. But it did. It happened. <laughs> and uh, I did it. It went off on the data smith, which is the guy left over from um, from the robots, and and he was just dead. So uh, which was which was pretty nice to to you know in the psychic phase to do that. So he was gone. I think he'd charged some guardsmen earlier, so now the guardsmen were free because they weren't in combat anymore. So that was that was handy. Um, I did I I didn't. That was it. I didn't do the five damage this turn, and so now things have gone from going well to uh, not going well because now I needed to really, uh, you know. I was out of trouble because I couldn't. I couldn't get a major victory. Yeah, I couldn't get a major victory if it ended on turn five. I could get a major victory if the game went on, and you know, to get four, I was now going to have to do it every turn, up to turn five, to to ensure a minor victory. So, um, yeah, so the pressure so was on. The, the pressure was on, and actually, that was quite a nice thing to happen because now, you know. The Admech were now, what well, you know, very much in the game. They just needed to make sure that, you know, I missed a couple of, you know, if I missed another turn, then it was going to be curtains. But then if I managed to carry on doing it, then, then maybe or maybe not. So, so yeah, I missed it that turn. Uh, the rattlings, uh, what did the rattlings do? I think they just, yeah, nothing was in range again because nothing had moved forward. So they just went for Skitari again, um, which was... So which what, was, had the, um, what had the Castellan been doing during this time? So he, Castellan... I'm guessing you must have lost some Lee and Russes by now. Two turns yeah, of Castellan fire. Yeah, so, yeah, so the second turn, then the Lee and Russ started to die. I lost two in the second turn. Um, both battle cannons so not the tank commanders but they were starting to fall um, and also in the second turn my Vindicare hit and then wounded the enemy warlord the tech priest dominus on a six which then Ooh, is a, like a headshot isn't it yeah yeah on a, it does d6 instead of d3 wounds it does d6 wounds if you wound on a six and I rolled like a five for the wounds, and so he was gone. Um, 
which was which was <laughs> which was handy because he was like repairing stuff and I think giving re rolls and and such. So um, that was an that was that's the first time of IndyCare has done that for me. Having I use it quite a lot, even though it's actually taking out a high value target. Yeah, actually taking a high value taking out a high value target in one in one shot. So that was that was nice. Um, no, even wasn't slay the warlord or anything like that. It felt like it was a good thing to happen because um, you know they lost he lost the buffs. They lost the buffs. Uh, so then yeah, it's a linchpin character. Yeah. So I so to, so I lost two Demon Russell and two, um, and and then on turn three I lost another two, and the knight had moved, the knight had moved forward by this point. It moved forward on to on on their turn two. So come my turn three, I started to shoot it. And amazingly, the Rattlings were brilliant at doing this because even though they're like wounding on sixes, but sixes are mortal wounds. So I rolled well and I was doing like, I can't remember, but it felt it felt like I was doing like four or five mortal wounds against the knight every time the Rattling shot at it. So, you know, it was it was it was being shot by Lima Russ a, a, a bit because they were still going after the um, the Doomsday device. My infantry had been um, shot back, um, and so I wasn't up the field as much as I was. Um, so my infantry couldn't shoot the Doomsday device. Um, so my Lima Russ was still shooting the Doomsday device and shooting the the knight a bit. Um, but by turn three. The night was down to 15 wounds, I think, from 28. And, you know, this was now because of the, the rattlings. And I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. Um, and neither could, neither could my opponents that the rattlings were like starting to chip away at this massive night with their, with their wound rolls. So, and the night had now moved forward and, and on their turn three charged into my infantry that had surrounded my Psyche and Creed. Uh, but Creed survived. <laughs> Uh, I think all the guardsmen died, and the, or most of the guardsmen died that were surrounding him, and uh, my psyche died as well. But he'd done a he'd done a he'd done a great thing by uh, by uh, by killing that the data smith. And I think I'd got rid of both the dune crawlers by now as well from uh, from Lehman Russ fire. So and then I did get the five points of damage on turn three. So now I was up to two structure points. And I needed two more for a minor victory. Um, so that's where we so are. So you're on your way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so then, then how did turns four and five go? So, yeah, it was getting tight now. Um, I did two wounds on the device. I did I did three. What do I need? I need five damage. So I did two wounds on the device with, with Lehman Ross or something. And I'd got like three guardsmen that had like gradually moved their way up the field i charged them at uh at the doomsday device and by this point i'd realized that massed fire was just as good as a battle cannon although a battle cannon does multiple damage but like firing las guns into it you know with like something like first rank fire second rank fire would have been incredible because some six you know a handful of sixes and that it would have been done so now i'd realized that this was probably the way to go so i charged these guardsmen in I think one of them had a chainsaw, so I had a few attacks, um, and I missed 
I missed my rolls. I needed like, I had like three dice. I needed three sixes and I got two sixes and a five. So the, so the device, Aww. the device went from two to four wounds or damage and not, and not the five wounds. So, so come turn four, I was still on two structure points, which, uh, was not great. Uh, and now the castle, the knight was still pounding up the field, stomping around. Yeah, yeah. it was now like charging, uh, my demon Russ. It was, it was right above the rattlings who were just there, like firing shots into it. You know, it's under, it's, it's under belly, and and Yarrick was there. Just, I don't think Yarrick, Yarrick didn't charge it. I think that would have been very, very silly of him. And it needed him for the the rerolls on the rattlings because they were just. They were doing the emperor's work. They were, you know, they were doing five or six <laughs> wings. They were doing five or six wings to it every turn. And it was just, it was gradually coming to the field, just getting knocked down. So, so turn five, turn five, I did manage to do it. I got, I got five damage. It's down to, I, I've now on three structure points. So it's on three structure points. I needed four for a minor victory, but the game might end. Uh, at this point, I think it carried on on the three plus, and uh, the knight is now like in into my deployment zone completely. It's destroyed the basilisk, which was behind a hill, and and couldn't be seen by anything apart from any stuff in my own deployment zone. So it's it's rounded the it, hill. It's just yeah, it's just strided up and looked over the top of the hill. Yeah, and blown it away. Yeah, it's rounded the hill. It's taken out the basilisk with with not caring the world. I, th- I don't. I think I've maybe got like two damaged Lehman Rust by this point. I've. I'm on three three structure points. We roll for the next turn, and we go into turn six. So now I need to do it. I need to do it on this turn because you know. So like, chance- so this is going into turn six. You've had five turns of gameplay at this point, and yet, did it still feel like it was in the balance and yeah, yeah and still really tense and exciting yeah because because i i just needed to get this five damage i'd like started to ignore you know the the remaining armature i was still trying to like plink wounds off the the knight but i was still trying to like go after i was trying to like survive and take things out while just doing five damage like i just was trying to get this five damage and then once i got the five damage everything would then switch to the knight and then the next turn i try and get the five damage and then once I, and so it was like, am I going to do this or am I not? So we've gone into turn six. It, I'm, I'm going first each time. And I need, I think my, my exterminator, which is the, the auto cannon Lehman Russ, get a lot of questions about that. Like, is it any good? I found it, I find it really good because it pumps out a lot of shots and at two damage a piece, you know, I needed, three of them three sixes from this to to uh to get six damage onto the doomsday device and i got four with uh with the lehman russ and meanwhile the rattlings have run off the hill uh just to get the um they've come down off the hill yarrick's followed them just to get into range of this doomsday device and the rattlings managed to get the six the one last six that i need to get the doomsday device to five damage and get me to four structure points on turn six. So that was a minor victory. And I think at that point, it, the, you know, I got a minor victory. I don't know. 
I think we did try and go to turn seven, but I don't. We did try and go to turn seven because I remember Chris having his go, and at this point, his knight was on one wound, and he just overcharged the the plasma gun and was like, "Screw it, I'm just going to overcharge it." He's like in my deployment zone trying to take out the last Lehman Russ, overcharges the plasma. I think destroys the last Lehman Russ. Yes, because I remember taking it off, and that was all my Lehman Russ gone. The knight explodes because the plasma takes off the last wound, and then the turn seven doesn't happen. And I've got a minor victory from the Rattlings doing one last damage to the Doomsday device. And the Knights exploded. All my Lehman <laughs> Russ have gone. And Creed is still in the middle of the field um, with these like four guardsmen. Yarrick's there on the hill. And uh, yeah, there's a lot of dead stuff. But I did. But, but yeah, I got this minor victory. And it was really, it was really close. It was really good. From the way you tell it, it sounds like two of the key units in the game were Rattlings and the Castle and Knight. Yeah. And I don't think you could get a like a greater David and Goliath sort of like story out of a 40k game than that. No. Rattlings versus a Castellan. And I, I don't think I could do it again because I think if I tried this again, you know, against Chris, He'd just shoot the rattlings like they they're so <laughs> they're, they're so squishy. He'd just fire, and he'd fire the castle and knight at them. He'd just volcano lance them just to show, just to show them, just to shut them up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and they would they would die. But um, it's kind of uh, yeah, it's like a it was a complete accident that they were so effective. And since that game, I so I had I had seventeen. And going off the rule of three, you can have ten in the squad. So the most you can have is thirty-three squads of ten. And since that game, I've I've got thirteen more. So now I can bring three squads of ten once they're painted. And so that will be a really nice thing to bring to maybe another narrative mission of just Yarrick with thirty rattlings. Not because, not because I mean they were powerful, but it's just such a great. Um, it's just a fun thing to yeah, do. Yeah, it's a fun thing to. I mean, they might, they could, they could easily die to a wyvern on turn one, um, or you know, or something like that. But you know, they're they're um, they're a fun thing to do. So so, yeah, watch this space for the maybe the first ever <laughs> the first ever thirty rattling battle report. <laughs> Perfect. So. So to sort of like, you know, uh, wrap it up, summarise it, like, how did you enjoy playing a narrative game compared to playing a traditional match play game? Um, it, was, it, was a, it, was, it was really good. And, and I think um, your, subconsciously, I think your mindset changes um, to just doing, not necessarily silly things, but just things differently like Chris yeah, overcharging I, I the plasma um, Chris overcharging the plasma um, I can't think of anything off the top of my head that I did necessarily differently but you definitely you definitely do things um, differently you're not you're not um, you're playing the mission but the mission isn't just Kill yeah, stuff. Hold this objective. Kill these. Yeah, or just yeah. yeah, or just hold this. And also, you're not um, even you know the Maelstrom of War cards have you bitting and bobbing. Do you know try try and do this, try and do that, try and do this. And then even the new 
uh, chapter approve eternal war missions are scoring points during your or at the beginning of a turn so you're still trying to do stuff on like a turn by turn basis whereas this is like you're in it for the long haul like you you know you've got this one mm. thing you've probably got five turns to do it and that is your sole goal and you're not going oh this turn i need to try and kill a character and then the next turn i'm like now i'm like speeding over here to get to this random objective and then i'm going to speed over there to try and kill their heavy support unit you know in this it feels like you're you're like part of something sounds silly because it's a game but you know you're part of something bigger like you're trying to get this one thing and that's your sole aim and you'll throw rattlings off a hill down it and you'll like make 40 guardsmen run towards uh three knights to get to stop the you know to get to this one thing it's kind of it does change your your mindset about the thing the decisions you make and in the game um so yeah i I, i'm i'm looking forward to to doing it again to to playing another one oh there's plenty of them yeah more so than i think than than i than i thought i would um yeah, and so. I think that is one of the key things that a lot of people are surprised by when they actually do try some of the more narrative missions is actually how much they enjoy it. And when they look at it on paper, they think, hmm, this looks a bit potentially one-sided or swingy or, you know, well, this doesn't look like it'd suit my army. But actually, when they play the missions out, they find they've had a lot of fun playing something that's more unorthodox to what they're used to doing. Even if they're using the exact same army they always use, they'll just find the way they play with it is probably quite different. Yeah. And uh, and not in an unenjoyable way. In fact, in a quite fun way. And uh, I'm glad that you've had such a good experience with a narrative game like that. Even when you brought seven Lima Russes versus a Castellan and you weren't even firing the Lima Russes at the Castellan. <laughs> Like, on paper, that doesn't sound like a fun experience for you. But I don't think that came across in the game at all, did it? No. And, and I've, I've thought about, what if it was the other way around? What if, what if I was defending the Doomsday device and I'd, I castled up seven tanks around it? Would it, would it still have been a, as fun? Because, but, but, but then... You know, I don't know. I don't know, and, and part of me thinks it would have been boring. But actually, I think the Castellan would have just—it would have just got to the—it would have just got into combat and just stomped on every single one, and it would have been uh, a fight for me to just try and survive and take out things that were wounding the Doomsday device while having a knight rampage around my Lehman Russ. So I still think it would yeah. have it still would it would have been it still would have been a good mission I think had it been the other way around. I I completely agree. Like I, you'd have probably ended up trying to almost usually even Russes as like distraction counter fixes. You'd have been trying to get in the way of the castle and, and bait it out and distract it and yeah. you know mislead it to other places so that it can't concentrate on the doomsday device because. It's got too many Lever Russes it needs to be chasing down. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so again, very unorthodox and yet very satisfying way to approach the game. And obviously, 
there's the fact that that castle then would have been set up in hidden deployment as well, and you would not have known which one of those hidden deployments was the giant Gilly robot. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah, because he, because yeah, he he could have done that and then just rushed me and just shut down all my shooting with by just throwing, you know, dune crawlers at, and charging me with Skitari and armage because those things can move. You know, the knights can move really well. Oh, they can move when they want to. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, but it was really good. I, I'm looking forward to it. I hope that came across when I was talking about it. Oh yeah, totally. It sounds like you really enjoyed yourself and you had a great game. And in a way, it sounds like you're almost surprised yourself by how much you enjoyed it. Yeah, and that that's because, like you said, on paper, you know, you see it, you see attacker and defender, and you think, oh, I don't know how that's going to play out. But 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 you know, it, it's fine. And I think you have to go into it with a certain mindset. You have to go into it knowing that it's maybe not going to be balanced. But then, you know, whenever when is 40k balanced anyway? So, um, you know, if you go into it with the right mindset, then yeah, you'll have a you'll have a great game and a completely different game from from yeah. chapter pre. And I think what sometimes can get miscommunicated is, ooh, isn't that a bit? Doesn't that look a bit unbalanced? And it's like it's no. It, quite often it's not that it looks unbalanced it's just that the two forces clearly have different objectives and are going to approach that same battle in two very different ways and I think trying to pass that difference is what sometimes makes it feel potentially unbalanced like you say the fact that the Castellan has a duck shoot of seven Lieber Russes and it doesn't have to be doing anything other than blowing them up seems like that favours the Castellan player. But yeah. Because but you as the Lehman Rust player are like, well, I'm not going to be turning these guns on that big robot. But it doesn't... That doesn't necessarily mean the game's unbalanced because you're just trying to do a thing and the opponent's trying to do a different thing or stop you from doing that thing. Whereas most, you know, like Maelstrom missions or Eternal War missions, both players are trying to achieve the same thing with two different armies, which is why it feels like a balanced um, set of objectives. But just because objectives are different per player doesn't mean they're unbalanced. It's just yeah. harder to see the internal balance of the mission until you actually play it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's really... It's hard to... Yeah, it's hard to explain. Um, but yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. But we'll wholeheartedly encourage people to, you know, go out and try these things for themselves. Yeah, definitely. I, I yeah, I, I, I'm annoyed with myself. It's taken me this long, um, to to get to do it. But um, but I'm but I'm definitely going to do it again in the future. And it's it make it makes for not necessarily, not necessarily a better like battle report, but. It's, it's in it's there it's more interesting but interesting mm. in a different way compared to like a competitive game which is interesting yeah you're not sitting down and analyzing every single decision and every single line of play and looking at the uh statistics of yeah what has come up and hasn't come up instead you're looking at it as a point of right what do i need to be concentrating on this turn right what does that mean for two turns from now you know 
um, oh, this very key uh, event just happened or didn't happen or whatever. Hmm. How does that immediately influence the flow of this battle now? It, it feels more like you, you're reporting on a, a shifting battlefield rather yeah. than just on sets of dice that have resulted in certain models being removed. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah. Excellent. Well, so that's the the very in depth look at a, a first hand narrative game, and I think it's fair to say that it was a success. Yeah. Um. So, if you're happy to stick around for a little bit longer, I'd quite yeah. happily take you on to the uh, the paint station garrison, and uh, see what it is we've been up to in hobby stuff before we. Uh, head out at the end of the show. Sure. So um, I think we'll do that now then. We'll, uh, we'll be back in a minute with the Paint Station Garrison. Are you enjoying the Narrative Wargamer podcast? If you are, why not check out our community Facebook group at Narrative Wargamer on Facebook. We share our latest hobby projects and narrative battles and aim to grow a community for casual and narrative 40k players. We're always excited to see the awesome things our listeners are working on, and it is a great place to hang out with other like-minded hobbyists. You can also find us on Instagram, at Narrative Wargamer, and over on Twitter, at Narrative40k, for regular hobby updates on our 40k projects. So guys, we're back, and amazingly, we've got some breaking news from the blog. I wouldn't say that. My uh, my blog it's nearly it's nearly midnight now. Well, no, it's it's eleven, so there's still an hour left. But it's it's broken its record for the most views in a day. And the last time that happened was was in February um, of this year, and then today it's just gone past two thousand eight hundred and sixty four views today, which is <laughs> which is quite. Which is quite a lot, and I don't really. Know. I think it's a combination of uh, the battle report that I just wrote, and then also an article about trying to beat the Death Guard. So I think a combination of those two things, like people that play Death Guard, people that play Ashmaterum, people that like lots of tanks, which I used in that battle as well. Probably a combination of those things has led to more people arriving than normal. Um, so yeah, that. Yeah, I'm quite pleased about that. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So yeah, you've you know, personal goal achieved. Yeah, personal best. Yeah, and that is great. And uh, I'm glad you also got to tell people about it. Yeah, I, I don't want to say it's because you're on the podcast, but uh, I, I perhaps feel it might be because you're on the podcast. Yeah, maybe, maybe. I usually write <laughs> usually write about that stuff in like the end of the year, you know, like the most popular content and like. You know, I usually do stat, stats stuff at the end of the year, so it will come up. But it, but there's still an hour left of the day, so it might stop now and just stop at two visits over the last record. It might carry on growing. So, yeah. <laughs> um. So yes. Yeah, so you just mentioned uh, you've written uh, an article recently about having lots and lots of tanks that you're using, and I think those tanks have recently just. Featured in your paint station carousel, haven't they? Yeah. So they. When did they? They were finished a couple of weeks ago, I think. Um, and like doing seven, you know, I I started off doing three, 
and then I knew I had others. And I thought, well, if I'm doing three, I might as well do four. And if you're doing four, you might as well do seven. And then they're all done. And so it was kind of like a big, it was a big job to do seven in one go. Um, but when they're done, I haven't got any more to do now. And so they're, they're all done and they can, they can, they can help rattlings kill knights now. Um, <laughs> um, so yeah, they, they're recently done. And then stuff that I've got on the go, oh, there's the rattlings and I've got two, two cyclers on the go, which will bring me up to three. Um, and I haven't really done a lot with cyclers, but I quite, after the success of that, of that one in the last game, I thought, well, you know, I might bring them more often and, and try and do different things with them because when they work, they, you know, they work really well. Um, and then my, my, my big sort of accidental project at the moment is my Valhallans, which are from uh, Reptilian Overlords. So they're not Games Workshop models because Games Workshop don't make them at the moment. Um, and I, I don't know, I just wanted Valhallans. And so they're from uh, Reptilian Overlords and they, they work fine as Valhallans. They're not perfect for Valhallans, but they, they look really good. And uh, so I, I've got 60 of them to do. I've done 16. I'm doing a batch of 20 at the moment. And so when I've got 60, I've also got six uh, chimeras to put them in. Um, and the chimeras are going to be um, not, they're going to have like extra bits and pieces on. So I've got like track guards for them. I've got trench rails for them, which are those like curved rails out the back so that they don't fall oh, into yeah, trenches. Yeah. Um, and then also uh, like some big like snowplow kind of um, uh, bulldozer blades. So they're going to be Val- very much like Valhallen uh, chimeras because they, Valhallen's like, they don't slow when they're, you know, their rules are that they, they, they don't slow down and they, they just carry on operating at full blizzard skill and full movement. So I thought like track guards and trench rails and big bulldozer blade will make them, make them look like that. So having 60 Valhallans in six chimeras will be quite a sight, I think, um, rolling up the battlefield. So that's, that's kind of like a long, a long-term project, but, um, I'm trying to like do them in, do them in, in batches. So try and do some Valhallans, do something else, do some Valhallans, do something else to just to try and get through them. Cause doing 60 is, or oh, it's a labor of love. I, I use the uh, same technique for my orcs. Like I tend to do infantry unit, something else, infantry unit, something else. Yeah. And you know, it doesn't necessarily always have to be old boys. Like, um, recently I just finished um, the Goliath truck um, and then I was like right well I'll, I'll do a non-vehicle this time so I'll move on to doing three of the mega knobs because I'm not doing six at once because my mega knobs are huge they're all made out of Gaskell Fracker uh, models so they're practically like small walkers themselves yeah I'll do three at a time but yeah like breaking it up into stuff like that is definitely the way to go, I think. And then, you know, reward yourself every now and again with like a character model or something that you really want to do next. Yeah. Yeah, that's like my psychist. Although 
if I'm breaking it up with seven Lehman Ross, that's not breaking <laughs> breaking a batch up with a batch is not really it's not really um it's not really breaking breaking it up at all. But so I'm not going to do that again. I'm not going to do I'm not going to do seven tanks in, in one go again. Is that sort of everything really that you that you've immediately been working yeah. on? You've finished seven Lehman Russes. You're picking up twenty Valhallens, um, Psychers, and uh, possibly some more Rattlings to add to a, a future yeah. game. Yeah, I think I'll I think I'll do those in one go. I'll do the Rattlings in one go. So then they they're in, they're just done then, and they're so little that you know it's like it's like painting half a guardsman. There's not. You know, the, there's not a lot to do with them, so they're they're um, they're quite quick to get through. There's other there's other stuff that I've got to do as well, like um, a bane blade. Yeah, I need to I need to do that. That's that'll be Acadian. This is a, this is a something that it's not well, it's a problem, but it, it's like a nice problem. Now I have these seven Lehman Rusts, and I have two wyverns, two basilisks, and four chimeras. Oh, and a Malkador defender, all all Cadian painted. That alone is like two thousand points, and you know, you look at that, and I think I'm not, I'm not into apocalypse, so they're not going to get used in that way, and you know, I'm never going to field it all. I'll probably never field all of that, all of those vehicles in one go, and so sort of a bit, I don't know, demoralising because you've got all this, <laughs> you've got this stuff, and then I'm like, well, I'm never going to use it. But then I was thinking, having you know, a narrative mission, I feel, I don't know how to explain it, it, it because you're not, because you're not just playing to win or playing to like get the best be results. Effective. Yeah, you could, yeah. I can take um, the stuff that I'd use less often, you know, I've got seven Lehman Russes, why do I need a Malkador Defender? You know, seven Lehman Russes are way better than a Malkador Defender or, or Wyverns, you know, maybe, but you know, having doing narrative stuff means that you can take these things that you might not necessarily take to a tournament or an event or your arch nemesis friend that you really want to beat. So you know, you can you can use them in in these um, in these other situate in in narrative situations and not I don't have to stress out about oh I've got I've got this stuff now and no I can't, I can't field it all because it's too much I can. I can relax a bit and think, no, it'd be nice to bring it in a narrative setting. Does that make sense? In a similar, yeah, I was gonna say, in a similar vein, what I find is I quite enjoy just saying to myself, I'm going to use this unit in the next game I play before I even know anything about the next game, what it's going to be, who it's going to be against, how many points it is, whatever. Like right now, I've spent some time working on this Gog art, which is what I'm painting right now and is, you know, part of my current work in progress and I'm going to play with it in the next game because I've spent a bit of time with it recently but I haven't played with it in ages so I want to see it on the table so I'm going to use it yeah. I don't know what I'm going to be playing I don't know who against but it's going to get some use and it's going to be fun and it's going to be awesome and like I've got um, I've got free orc aircraft and at some point I'm just going to say I'm going to use a um, an air wing because I would give it really cool to have all like all three of these uh, you know, orc bombers sort of flying in sort of to the you know flight of the Valkyries all yeah. the rest of it you know yes <laughs> and again I don't know at this point whether or not they'll be 
a strong choice or consideration or not for you know whatever game I'm going to play them with. But I know that probably not in the next game, but maybe the game after that, I might just bring all three fires because I want to. And I yeah. think there's a nice liberating opportunity to do that because it's not like the next game you're playing is going to be an event game or a tournament game or something with rankings involved you know so you don't mind taking some things you want to take in or it's a bit of fun or just because you've been working on it recently on you know your paint station and you want to see it and play yeah so yeah, that, that, that's it's liberating yeah that's definitely what will happen when i finish the rattlings and it's definitely what happened when i finished the two psychers because you know I, I finished two psychers and then i think oh i've got to i've got to use all three now like i'm you know and then and that'll be yeah I, I i do yeah that's that's a good way to think is to just get it done and then then use it because then you've got like a motivation to, to get it done then because you're going to use it no matter what yeah like it's not very often i play with big mobs of boys i actually prefer using truck boys because uh, i typically i don't enjoy taking orcs off the board like i don't enjoy putting down 120 models just to remove <laughs> like 90 of them before they get to do anything don't play guard but... don't play guard then <laughs> oh i do i already do but guard is different i enjoy taking them off because they're all dying for glorious causes yeah um but every now and again i will just feel like you know what i do feel like playing with your core today i am going to get out all night to your boys you know i will take that full-size battalion for this one game because I fancy doing it, but I don't have to do that every game. Yeah. Just because it's effective. Yeah. But yeah, um, so just to sort of go over my uh, hobby stuff in a bit more detail is, um, yeah, like I said, right now, I'm currently working on the Gorgonaut. I'm busy just painting checkered patterns on one of its uh, shoulders, which is fun. Um, but I'm actually still really enjoying painting this model it's a lot of fun i can't believe how enjoyable it is even though it's such a big beast yeah they are uh, they really are but it's so nice to work on and just every time every different like armor panel or weapon i'm just like how am i going to paint this one like how is this going to add into the sort of ramshackle yet unified look of the army um it's fun uh, but that's just what I'm working on right now. I'm talking to you. The main unit that I'm putting time in on is the first of the Death Wreckers, which are my Mega Armored Knobs. So I've got six of them to paint. But as I've already mentioned, they're all built out of Gaskell Fracker. So they are huge, which means it's actually taking a little while to get through them. So I've now got all the, like leather and undergarments done, all the green skin, all the wiring and cabling and the base layer to all the metallics, all the metal, which there's a lot of, because to be honest, a lot of the model is actually like exoskeleton. So you're painting in a lot of framework that's under armor plates, but over skin. Yeah. So it's, it's surprising how much of it there is. And then being orcs, I don't like everything being uniform when it comes to like the metal and stuff. So it's not even like I can just, I go over every 
area of metallic and go, that's lead belcher. I'll go over the majority of it, but then other bits I'm going to do in a more brassy tone or whatever. And I try to vary it from squad member to squad member so that they don't all have the same lead belcher armor, uh, the same lead belcher pieces of metal. Yeah. So some of, some of them will have it be uh, that panel or piece of frame might be painted blue, another one it might be lead belcher, another one it might be a brassy color. Like, you know, but it, it comes together as a unified look for the unit, but still looking pretty ramshackled as individuals. Yeah. So I'm having a lot of fun working on those at the moment. And then the other thing that I've been working on the past couple of evenings has been the third piece of uh, Deaf World Forest scenery, which is um, one that is pretty much a labour of love at this point. Because uh, I, do, I do enjoy working on my terrain and I enjoy putting some time and effort into them, not just getting them you know, sprayed and dry brushed. I do like putting personal touches to it. So I've got um, like two of these forest pieces, one with like big canopy pieces and another one with um, sort of like flourishing, uh, flowering like alien pods. Um, and then I've draped some of the citadel vines across it and I've mounted them on a a single large base piece. Is this that the be... this is the stuff from the Games Workshop pack, Deathwood Forest thing? It is, yes. Yeah. So it's the actual uh, uh, GW Deathwood Forest. But the thing that I think they need to really pop and really work well is I do think they need like an area terrain base, as it were, that you like mount them on. Yeah. And then you do that up with like vines and undergrowth and all the rest of it and once it's all painted and then add in effectively like aquarium plants yeah you know sort of like uh the pre-painted green foliage stuff that you get for like you know reptile tanks and stuff mm. because they're the right scale that they look like large like fauna yeah but also the coloring's quite nice and looks quite natural but I can't put that on until everything else on the terrain piece is painted because otherwise I risk getting paint on these yeah. like pre-painted pieces. I am... Um, I've just been looking at them and they do look... When they're not... Like, when they're just on a table, they look lost. Like, they yeah, need... Yeah, they that's need, exactly what I think. Yeah, they need, like, a, a... Something to tie them together say, this is... This is the terrain piece and it's... Yeah... Yeah, they do look a bit I mean, lost, you, don't they? You'll be able to see them on my Instagram soon. Um, I've done one or two pieces. I've done um, each of the Eldritch Rune pieces, so the ones with like, the Eldar structures in them. So I've got two on there already, and this one's the first one that'll be just pure fauna. But um, I, I've been quite strategic with structuring them as well because I've always made sure that when I plan where the foliage is going to go, the intention is that it's dense enough, it actually blocks line of sight, because that's the other problem with them out of the box, I find, is that realistically, they do not block line of sight in the slightest way. No. Oh, just, no. Yeah, they're just kind of like, well, I guess this is cover, but without having a base, you can't even really no. appreciate whether <laughs> it's providing cover or not all the time, so... It sort of solves these two issues. I can definitively say, yes, you're in cover. And I can also definitively say that, you know, say 60% of the angle on the base 
provides obstructed line of sight to one direction or another. So, you know, I'm, and the aim eventually is I will have a really nice, bright, like not garish, but colourful Death World forest board. And it's going to have like, you know, 10 or so pieces of this sort of Death World terrain. But it will feel and function like, you know, a, a dense ruined city board. Yeah, yeah. I never, never, um, not really played with forest much, but it has all the Deathworld forest. It has rules, doesn't it? So it'll be, it'll be really good to use narratively. Oh yeah, the uh, the next piece that I'm building after this one is the actual grapple weed one, which is the one that gets up and chases units around the board. <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, it, it's basically dangerous terrain that chases you. Nice. <laughs> Um, nice. So that's going to be fun. And again, like I'm putting that on a base, but I'm mounting it and designing it in such a way to consider that this thing is actually going to try and be scooting around the board and trying to squeeze between units. And, you know, uh, there's a functional aspect to it as well, because I do fully intend to have an actual dangerous death world board. So um, I'm looking cool. forward to starting that one and I'll be posting some work in progress pics of it as it comes along. Yeah, I'll look out for those. <laughs> Uh, but I think that's about everything that I've been working on recently. Um, so you can see all the stuff that I've been working on. Um, and I do post uh, like some work in progress pics, but mostly like finished pics of everything over on my Instagram um, at Narrative Wargamer and up on Twitter as well um, at Narrative40k. But the best place to actually see everything, catch up on everything, hear about everything that we've been doing and playing and painting and building and just generally hobbling away is the Facebook group. And it's starting to come along now. We're starting to get, you know, a, a trickle of members who are coming in and uh, it's not just me posting what I've been up to. There are other people contributing as well and it's uh, starting to build our little community and I'm really enjoying it. So, uh, yeah, you can find us on Facebook. Just search for Narrative Wargamer and um, you'll find the group on there. Um... We're just coming up on the two-hour mark, so I think this will be a, a sort of good place to round it all out. Um, so is there anything else that you'd like to mention while you're uh, here? No, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. It was, uh, it was good to be here. It was good to chat and uh, relive the, the very minor victory that I got over the Admeca Knights. Uh, I, I, I think the hobby won that day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, thanks for being here, and uh, I, I think I can honestly say I would like to have you on again in the future. I'd, yeah, you are a, a great guest. I'll I'll, um, I'll happily come back. I need to get another narrative game under my belt, though. I think um, before before that happens, but that will happen. So <laughs> yeah, I'll I'll <laughs> gladly come back. To be honest, okay, to be honest, I need to get some more games in. Like I've been doing so much actual hobby recently. I've not even played that often. So I'm looking, hopefully, to get a game in this weekend. I don't quite know what kind of game it's going to be yet, but we'll see. Um, I'm sure it'll be fun either way, but we'll find out. Um, so, yeah, if you've enjoyed the show, then definitely you know give us a, a five-star review, leave us some positive feedback or negative feedback, whichever. It's all helpful as long as it's constructive. I'd love to hear it. Um, if you've got any questions or suggestions or you'd even like to be on a future episode you can email me at 
um, the narrative wargamer at gmail.com. I do read all the emails that I get, um, and I'd love to hear from anyone that's interested in becoming more involved with the show. Um, so you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all the place. You can also go to narrativewargamer.wordpress.com and you can find hobby articles on there when you know I do find time to write them. Um, I say I'll probably be posting one up soon about the uh, my take on the combat doctrines for the new Space Marines and what I think it means for the faction as a whole. So yeah, guys, uh, thanks for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this sort of more interview format episode, and we'll you know I think we'll definitely do some more in depth battle reports in the future. But uh, when we're next back, we'll probably have. Um, I think Dave Barker will be joining me again probably for the next episode and we'll probably have uh, some news and new releases to go over and I think I'd like to start doing more of a community spotlight as well because um, just before we go, it is worth mentioning the Two Peas podcast, if you haven't checked that out. We recently just got a shout out from them because um, Danny was uh, listening to this show and he was enjoying it and... uh, he was very kind to give us a shout out on his own podcast so if there are any listeners here today from the two peas uh thanks for being here and i found danny to thank um so definitely go check out that show as well it is great they're um they're, they're some real sort of like hobby guys i find you know they, they, they do good segments on like you know painting and hobby tips and um sort of where the plans are with the game and what they're going to be buying next and what the campaigns are going to be playing and stuff it's great definitely go check them out um so yeah i think that's everything thanks again jake for being here today and uh let's see we look forward to definitely getting you on again in the future so yeah thanks for having me so till next time guys we'll see you later